0: Nightclubbing spiders, the great screenwriter in the sky, adjectives and expletives in Australia and the United States, and being a travelling mad scientist. All this and more in episode 122 of... The Paid to Play Podcast. Jared Sorensen, tabletop role-playing and digital game designer. By PC, Pod, or Pad, you're listening to Paid to play the audio antidote to the Don't Quit Your Day Job Blues. I'm Rob Farker, and I want to help you monetize your madness by sharing the stories of folks earning income from the things they love doing, no matter how silly, geeky, or odd. Now, this episode is two kinds of fun, and it's kind of unusual as well. Firstly, on the kinds of fun front, it's fun to get to geek out with my guest about a shared hobby. And the second kind of fun, one I don't get to indulge in too often, is when I get a former guest back on the show to find out what they've been up to since the last time we chatted. I'll get on to the unusual aspect of the show in a couple of minutes, but first, I would like to tell you, in case you didn't hear us chat for episode 8 all the way back in 2012, Jared Sorensen. He is one of my classic guests. He is something of a well-known figure in the tabletop role-playing game scene, specifically the Indie Circuit. His best-known product is a little game called Inspectors, which you can download from the web, for a fee of course, where you get to bust ghosts for profit and argue with your friends about exactly where the company budget should be spent. Or, more accurately, argue at with them after they've already spent the cash. Anyway, he has done several games as well, including Octane Premium Unleaded, the gonzo game of uh, post-apocalyptic science fiction, Mad Max, Well, just buy it and play it, you'll get the idea pretty quickly. Uh, psychotronic is another word to throw in there, as to describe Octane. And The Mysterious Lacuna, a game set in a realm of a dream within a dream, as mystery agents try to... Exterminate the causes of psychopathy and insanity in the general populace. He's also co authored Free Market, a game which I've got to admit I'm still kind of intimidated uh, to try and play, with his fellow indie RPG luminary and colleague Luke Crane. He keeps busy with digital game design, and employment, and a bit of freelancing in the meantime, as well as a couple of other initiatives that I think I'll leave until we actually talk about them in the chat. And recently he's also taken his gaming exploration in a little bit of a unique retro turn. Jared has just completed a Kickstarter for a collection of games under the Parsley line, that's P-A-R-S-E-L-Y, in case you're tempted to go and Google it right now, which is a fun little group activity where a bunch of people get together and pretend to play one of those classic text Based adventure games from the 80s and 90s, games like Zork and the many in that series, where it was much of a challenge trying to figure out what to type into the computer so that you could tell it what you wanted to do uh, in order to get a result, as it was letting the purely text-based adventure light up your imagination. Now this chat is a little bit unusual because it's actually the second attempt for Jared and I to get together and chat recently. The first one we thought we had a great one in the can and then unfortunately as you'll probably hear us complaining about as the chat goes on our recording software that we were using somehow apparently at the time uh, had not got Jared's part of the conversation. Later on I did discover that in fact it had done so and Patreon backers can get access to pretty much that full first chat but we got together again and did a re-record but thanks to the recording software i use it actually began recording our chat immediately as it started in skype and we were talking about some interesting stuff so that rather than leave that aside and maybe try and edit back in later we decided to just keep rolling and then see where the chat took us, and used the formula for pay-to-play chats as necessary, and I think the result turned out pretty entertaining. Anyway, folks, please listen and enjoy. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing oh, all right. Thank you very much. How about yourself?
1: I'm okay. I had a good morning cooking, and walking around, mm. so and then working on my Kickstarter stuff, so good times.
0: Indeed, I just noticed that you uh, cracked 200%. With six days yep,
1: to go. Yep. Up to thirty one grand. Congratulations. Thanks. It's kinda nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah, it makes you really wonder what the next thing's
1: gonna be. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> oh, you mean the next Kickstarter or whatever I do project? Oh yeah, or, whatever the next hmm. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I have some I have some ideas, but or, yeah, I just okay, those those don't make any sense. I have no idea. I have some ideas. No, those don't work. <laughs> I have no idea what it will be, but I have a couple ideas of what it might be. There, that makes more sense. How you doing? So, what, what, what was your day like?
2: Ah, uh,
0: well, it or started about three hours ago. Um, right. I just had a chat with a couple of my Patreon backers to um, oh, cool. help them along with some of their projects, and uh, yeah, later on, I expect I am going to be uh, fixing a fence. Oh great! Yes, we've got a a nice big fence along uh, one side of our property that um, some of the main panels have come away from their supporting posts. So we've got to see about getting that all screwed back in and fixed up
1: so that sure, uh, you yeah, keep out the koalas exactly mm. and the huntsmen's. Oh God, the
0: huntsmen. <laughs> really, we there probably are huntsmen somewhere around up here, but I don't think I don't think I've seen. A huntsman spider since I moved from Sydney to Cairns. I don't know. Maybe they're urban spiders or something. I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they're <laughs> like the nightclub scene better than, uh, yeah, better than the tropics.
1: <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. All I know is that they exist, and uh, I hope I never meet one. Uh, <laughs> sounds like you, um, you got
0: lucky then the last time you were out here.
1: Well, I mean, I do have my, my... Actually, I was just telling the kids in my class about my spider story, about when I was in... Uh, Brisbane and I saw a giant spider on somebody's wall Mm. and I thought it was a clock I actually thought like I saw it from down the hall and I thought it was like this big wall clock yeah I was like that's a weird shape for a clock and then I looked and I was like that's not a clock (laughs) I'm not going to the I was going to go down to the hallway and use the restroom and I was like you know what I'm gonna wait (laughs) I'm gonna wait (laughs) I could not believe it I could not believe I thought it was fake (laughs) oh and then it moved yeah, I, I just, I was like, okay, I, it suddenly clicked. Oh wait, I know what that. My, 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 my mammal brain kicked and went, hey, you know what that shape is? That shape is danger. Don't go near <laughs> it. Oh, and they had had a, uh, they had had a brown snake in their swimming pool because they had had some torrential rains, and Ooh, I was like, boy. oh, this is what a great place to live.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything can kill you in unusual ways. Mm. Yeah, none of that. None of that for me. Yeah, I'll just get killed by a New Yorker. Indeed, <laughs> some cabbie who's not looking where he's going is going to run me over. That's how I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah dude, gonna... I made a I made lemon curd this morning with ginger, lemon ginger curd.
0: Oh, fantastic!
1: I was I high fived myself. It came out really well. Mm. Yeah.
0: So are you not... were hoping to entertain, or were you just um?
1: Yeah, doing I brought it over a because... friend's house. Yeah, I brought a friend was having a little brunch party, and I brought it over. I was like, "Well, gonna, I want to bring something." She's like, "Well, blah blah,", blah. and I was going to make pancakes or come over and cook or something. And then I was like, "This morning, I was like, I don't want to go there and cook, and I or bring, you know, I don't want to have to bring over stuff. I don't want to have to deal with her kitchen. I just was like, oh, I know what I'll make. I'll make something I can transport, and she can just have for the whole week. Ah. And I've always wanted to make lemon curds, so I tried it, and it came out amazing."
0: Fantastic!
1: Yeah, are you a cook at all? Are you are you chefy?
0: I am sadly not particularly chefy. I'm getting to the point where I'm gonna sort of start having to be just so I can do my bit in the kitchen with um, Vicky not being in the best of health. I, I somehow have managed to avoid it, but right at the moment, I'm becoming. Uh, I'm becoming garden-y. I'm getting into being a bit more of a green thumb. We've got these lovely big veggie beds up the back. Oh, which, sure. which, which, funnily enough, in probably a, a solid piece of uh, Australianism, are made out of um, tractor tyres.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> no, uh, my, uh, my stepson had a mate who lives up the valley near us with a bunch of them to get rid of and normally your only option would be to take them to the tip, in which case you've got to pay 150 bucks per tire to right. get rid of them. Right. So Carl basically took me around there and said, you know, hey, I've got the ute. We'll load them up and we'll just take them off your hands for, for nothing.
1: <laughs> the ute. You are such an Australian. It's hilarious. <laughs> the ute. Yeah. I know what that is. Mm.
0: It's a pickup truck except more rugged.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a... <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I know what it is. I've yes. I've, I've been there. Indeed, I remember yeah. people talking about Utes, and we were like, "What are you talking about?" And then we saw one, and we we're like, "Oh, right, right." Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not even they're. Well, it's weird because a, a lot of people in Australia that I that I met called Utes. They almost looked like they were those car truck hybrids. We would mm. call like El Camino or something. Yeah, kind mm. of like that. Mm. Pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, you mean they're not the big almost four-wheel drive like the uh, friggin', um Ford F-150s and all those kinds of things that we right. usually, yeah. You, uh, I actually, I'm sure there's one or two people around here who've, who've got F-150s and things like that. But uh, yeah, most of the time it's just uh, looks like half the front of a car and um, the back end's a tray. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, all right, well, shall we get stuck back into trying this chat business all over nah. again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's give it another try. Yeah,
0: I still have no idea. I'm a little bit sad because at least at, at my end, the, um, the recording software that plugs into Skype that I use doesn't give as good audio quality as Zencaster does, but yeah, I don't know what the heck it is. I've had many, many podcasters who will swear blind that Zencaster works for them, but I don't know. For me, I just seem to have had this 50-50 hit-miss rate. Either it's been up or down. And so far, have you had any audio issues with chatting?
1: On Skype? On Skype
0: so far? No. No. Yeah.
1: No. no. Yeah. Zencaster, it was like I get these weird stutter stops and and dropped audio and... Hmm. Uh, I'm not even, you know, not to mention what happened at the end when I didn't have my my stuff recorded. Mm. So it was very weird.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Maybe it, it could well be a driver thing or something like that. I've heard people mention that, but you know, again, that's sort of like that. Yeah, that's that's the too hard basket. No, no, thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. All right then. Uh, anyway, I tell you what. Just because I'm feeling a little bit lazy, and because I do have the original intro recorded, I'm just going to get, basically just get straight in, say, Jared Sorensen, welcome to the pay to play podcast, and, um, we will go from there. Uh, okay. Pretty much the usual format, I'll ask the, uh, the magic ticket question again, and, um, uh, end with the three things, and, um, yeah, what was go. the
1: magic ticket question again? I can't remember.
0: No worries. It's the one where imagine you've basically got the opportunity to do one thing that you've either been keen to try out or keen to get back into. It's it's kind of meant to be a, a little bit of an icebreaker, but it's it's always fun to see where people go with it.
1: Oh man, I don't remember what I what I uh, <laughs> what I said last time. Do you remember? Uh,
0: do I have anything in the notes? To, uh... Uh, PF Magic. Uh... I remember,
1: remember you. Oh yeah, it was. It was to work at PF Magic again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that would be nice if I could just re- just not even not even go back, but just redo that that year. Mm. That'd the be P- cool. The PF Magic yeah. you, um, still exists, or no, no, it went out, it went out of business when it was bought. Uh, it was bought by it was bought by Mindscape, and then. uh... It became so. We were bought by Mindscape, which was bought by the Learning Company, uh, which was then bought by Mattel. Uh, so we went through like three owners in like about in less. In, I think less than a year. And so that company basically as soon as as soon as we got bought and they were like, "Oh yeah, we're moving you from San Francisco to Nevada." We lost half of our staff because they're like, "Fuck you, we're we're not moving. This is stupid." You know, I don't want to live up in Nevada or, or commute up there. Um, it's about Novato is how far away it's time. Time in San Francisco is relative (laughs) because you're like, well, technically I live five miles away, but it takes me. Okay. Yeah. Novato to San Francisco is a 28 mile drive, Mm. uh, which here it says, (laughs) it says between 53 minutes and one hour, six minutes. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's, yeah, it's about 30 miles away from San Francisco, but it takes an hour to an hour and a half to drive there because just traffic's so bad. Yeah. In fact, I would take a boat when I lived in near Novato, I lived in San Rafael and I'd take a boat across the bay to, uh, to the Embarcadero in San Francisco. And so I would drive, I would take a boat, then I would get on the train and then I would get on a cable car. (laughs) that, That was my daily commute. One way. <laughs> that, the cable car was optional. Yeah. Uh,
0: it, it, somehow it sounds like at the same time, the worst and yet the best commute ever. You know what I mean?
1: It's You know what? It was weird because that boat ride gave me the time I needed to work on a lot of games and game ideas. And, and like Inspectors was basically created on that commute. Mm. From start to finish, it was created on that commute uh, because I had, 30 30 minutes to 45 minutes of just sitting you know on the ocean (laughs) basically 45 minutes in the big the big chugga 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 boat and then uh about 30 minutes in the catamaran the sea cat that would just fly over the water um (laughs) and i met some cool people like non-gamer people i ended up roping into playing like guillotine with me and we actually designed a card game that I think I still have up on my site somewhere called uh, Superior, which is this dumb, cl- like 52, you know, standard 52 deck playing card um, deck uh, game where you were supposedly Mexican wrestlers or something. It had a dumb theme that didn't really make sense, but it was basically <laughs> a, you're comparing hand sizes and numbers. I don't remember how it worked. It was fun though. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that commute was was kind of valuable in that regard. It was a pain in the butt. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Anyway, let's get this recorded before we talk about any more awesome stuff that's not actually getting...
1: Uh, See, if you're uh, smart, you'd just be rolling. You'd do I, a crisp. Yeah,
0: if I were actually... Or am I? Am I? Yes, I am. Thankfully, I do have this program that automatically kicks off whenever a Skype call... When, well, when the program itself is running whenever a Skype call starts. So, actually, that is great. That's, um... You know... Th- I could almost probably just get away with going as we are, you know what I mean, and just have the podcasters, yes, uh, uh, trying a different format with a, a rather oh, conversational yeah. start to the show.
1: That's very much like the Nerdist or, or Mark Mara, and they're like, oh, the guest will be like, are we recording? Like, you know, 10 minutes into it, like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, we've been recording. <laughs> well, that works. I mean, God... Um,
0: so let's see. I mean we've got a good thirteen minutes of chat in so far, we've pretty much done uh, yeah, the the magic ticket question. And so folks, I, I suppose I really ought to be addressing you, you fine funky listeners out there for the first time in this chat. We are actually re-recording, as you probably gather from the comments about ZenCast and what have you beforehand, we're re-recording a chat that we originally scheduled a week ago. It was great, it was fun. It did take a little bit of a, a maudlin uh, turn at times, which I think can be pretty much chalked up to the fact that both Jared and I are now in our 40s. So, I don't know, maybe maybe with, with age, beca- age comes a bit of cynicism and a bit of, you know, um, stiffness creeping into the joints and uh, all that sort of thing. So we'll try and keep it a bit more chirpy and upbeat this time. <laughs> it's um, got
1: to be. It's got to be more yeah. chirpy and upbeat. <laughs> I think we're measuring out lengths of rope at the end of the last one. So. I think so. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty grim. It was pretty grim. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so tell us about your love of games, Jared. When not you kind of – we've all played – I think pretty much it's fair to say anyone in our generation and nowadays most kids have played what we would consider, you know, to be the more es- esoteric stuff, you know, computer and video games and tabletop ha- tabletop RPGs back in the day. You know, they were still fairly squarely the province of geeks, although nowadays anyone can get their mitts on a, a PlayStation or an Xbox and just, uh, or, you know, an in- what, what, what's Nintendo got at the moment? The Switch. And the Switch, just, yeah. Yeah, and just go for their lives. What was your... Discovery of games not just as a pastime but as an actual genuine an actual genuine, an actual genuine love
1: oh man uh, so the Atari two thousand six hundred was an early game system that my parents bought, and uh, I absolutely loved playing that uh, we were We were kind of into like board games we got dungeon when it came out. I played dungeon a lot earlier than I played Dungeons and Dragons um, because I could understand the rules to dungeon and Dungeons and Dragons was a bit beyond me for a while because I got that when I was 12 and never actually played it until I think I was 16 when I first played or 17 when I first played D&D um, and uh, Nintendo Entertainment System was the the one that just ruined me. I was like, oh well, I, there goes my chances of being an excellent student uh, <laughs> because I'm going to be playing Kid Icarus until 4 in the morning <laughs> so so yeah college goodbye um <laughs> and then and then uh yeah uh dungeons and dragons the war games west catalog i don't know if anybody remembers that it was this newsprint style um it looked like a newspaper full of like advertisements for games and miniatures and ephemera of gaming stuff and that would come in the mail and i drool over it i ended up buying a second edition from bard games and that was mind-blowing and um Marvel superheroes, Paranoia, and Ghostbusters were all early games.
0: You and I actually both have our names in the in an, edi- in an edition of Paranoia, don't we? <laughs>
1: yes, we do. Yeah, that, that's one of those weird those weird things where oh, this is the first game I ever GM'd, hmm. uh, and I heard about it during the first game I ever played, which was Ghostbusters, and the guy running is like, "Oh, you think that was cool? There's this other game." It's called Paranoia and you like kill the other players and there's, cr- there's this crazy computer and it's all like it takes place underground. I was like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> and that was the first game I ever ran. Mm. And then uh, later on, I ended up being a part of one of the books, which is – well, they, I mean it gets even weirder because Greg Kostickian and I both shared an employer at one, part, uh, at one point where he developed this uh, Facebook game that he left after he started it. He left the company to do his own thing out on the West Coast, I think. And then I, uh, I applied for the job and then got hired and then found out. Oh yeah, this. So the other designer was this guy named Greg Kusticki, and I'm like, yeah, I know who that is. He's <laughs> one of my role models, like game wise. So that was really crazy. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. If I mean, you look at life after you lived for a while and you realize that somebody is definitely writing it. Yeah. And. They, Definitely have a sense of humor, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah, it's crazy.
0: And it's but sadly, it's it's not you, or
1: the writer doesn't
0: even. He's not willing to even let you let you see any any draft of the book until close to when it's finished. The bastard.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I I know. I don't know how long the story is. I know after a while, I'm not in it anymore. Mm. And uh, and uh, yeah, I call it the great screenwriter. I'm not a religious person at all, but I do have this kind of like funny thing I always talk about. Oh, the great screenwriters at it, at it again. How are we going to make today interesting? Type 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 type.
2: <laughs>
1: so whenever something crazy happens, I'm like, "Oh, of course that's ha- what would happen. The great screenwriter. He read a book by uh, he read a book on um, you know, three act structure and he's we're on page uh we're about on page like 100, 105 right now. Hi, this is Monty Cook of Monty Cook Games, and you're listening to the Paid to Play Podcast.
0: Look, tell us a little bit about... You've touched on some of your gaming career, and of course we've talked about your wonderful time at PF Magic that you wish you could have back over again, but do you remember when... The first time was that it sort of you had, and we've talked about Ghostbusters in the last chat, and uh, the ghostbusters role playing game has been mentioned, of course, where you kind of had that Peter Venkman moment when you realized that you could potentially earn some sort of income from designing games
1: well that that didn't come until, oh man, um, way, way, way later. I mean, when I started a PF magic in 97 totally by accident i had no i always was like, oh you know getting involved into in, in computer games or whatever would be cool but how 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 would i do that i don't know but i i totally fell into it again the great screenwriter said it would be hilarious um let's have this guy get hired at a computer game company so uh it wasn't until i met like ron edwards and mike merles on um online where i i figured out oh i could actually like write stuff and sell it digitally. I don't even have to make books. I don't even have to, you know, do that, put that risk, financial risk. I could just do online uh, documents, you know, from HTML pages to PDFs to text files, whatever, Mm. and, uh, and make money. So, so yeah, it wasn't until like 2000, I would say 1999, 2000, when I was like, Oh wait, this is possible. Might even be fun it was neither no i'm just kidding uh, it was it was possible and it was fun
2: mm.
0: and also a little bit stressful i
1: imagine yeah i mean everything is stressful indeed so yeah it's not it's not any more or any less mm.
0: one thing i found that a lot of people encounter when they start taking something that they love doing and trying to make a thing out of it uh is this Force that can be both internal and external, um, whether it's well meaning friends or just this part of your brain that seems to calculate based on your own, li- you know, calculate probabilities based on your own limited experience of uh, life and present them as if they're, you know, uh, facts of the universe. That basically sort of says, you know, uh, either in a well-meaning way, oh, that sounds like a lovely hobby, honey, but uh, what are you going to do, you know, what's, what are you going to do for a, for a real job or, you know, when people find out that you are actually working to monetize your thing, they say, oh, yeah, pfft, don't give up your day job, kid. D- did you run into that at any point? And how did you, if so, how did you deal with it in the initial days?
1: Well, I mean, I never gave up my day job. uh no. I kind of wish I did many, many times, <laughs> uh, looking in hindsight, I'm like, man, I really wish I had just done the crazy thing. Uh, I stay, I mean, I, have had bits of spates of unemployment over the years, but nothing too crazy. It always seems crazy at the time. It always seems like the end of the world. But for some reason I end up back on my feet. So I never really had anybody going, oh yeah, but you can't make any money at this. Mm. Um, so I mean, I, and I, but I, at the same time, I also said to myself, "I'll never make any money at this." So I wasn't really under any pressure to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, getting into the computer game field was where it was like, "Oh, this is an actual job where I can actually make an income and actually make a living wage." And this game stuff on my my own is just gravy. It's like extra cool stuff I can do by myself and and uh, have fun and maybe make a little you know money to buy coffee uh, every day. And uh, so, yeah, I really didn't have that kind of pressure. Mm.
0: Now, we've mentioned Inspectors before, of course, and how it was sort of germinated on your commutes to and from work. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Inspectors itself. I mean, it's probably, for the time being anyway, the product that you're most well known for Uh, and it's certainly the product that got me in touch with you via seeing Steve Darlington's review on RPGNet which I think led me uh, both to your work and also onto The Forge which was um, this fantastic little tabletop role-playing game independent design community which sadly although perhaps inevitably is now pretty much shut down I think you can still Access it and read the pages, but it's completely locked down for posting. And I assume at some point it's going to be um, perhaps shuffled off once um, the uh, the hosting bills can no longer afford to be paid or what have you. But uh, yeah, how did how did Inspectors itself come to be?
1: Well, I'm going to remind everybody, you included, that Steve D's. I, I just looked it up just because I, I think I know what the year was, but I, I double checked October 11. 2004. So <laughs> 13 years ago, crazy. Uh, so yeah, back then that's, that's kind of the game I was known for was inspectors. Um, so I mean, inspectors is, everybody knows inspectors knows the story. Uh, it's, it's my, my riff of ghostbusters. Um, nowadays I'd say it was inspired by the office, except the office wasn't around then. I don't think, or maybe the British one was, but I hadn't seen it. Um, but it was definitely like looking back, on like, oh yeah, it's definitely like the office meets Ghostbusters. And the actual genesis of the game was, um, it was this idea I had about what if it was like one of those, what if supernatural stuff was real and we had to deal with it on a day to day basis, like, you know, equal rights for vampires and. How, you know, how do werewolves uh, uh, fly on planes during full moons and just like weird, like kind of slice of life, supernatural weirdness? And then I saw something on, I think it was on HBO. I always say it's HBO, so I might as well say it's HBO, about uh, forensic cleaners, the people who clean up after like crime scenes and suicides and accidents. And uh, I saw this documentary, the short documentary about them, and I was like, that's such a crazy job. You know, you 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 deal with the stuff that nobody else wants to wants to deal with or wants to or knows how to deal with, and it's like that's your thing. That's where you you found a niche, and I was like, okay, so if vampires and werewolves and ghosts are real, there's got to be this kind of quasi like not law enforcement, not military, not science, but something kind of more vocational, kind of like plumbers that would come in and like clean up the crap that nobody else wanted to deal with. And that's that's the inspectors. That's how they came to be.
2: Hmm.
0: How did you then, uh, from the genesis of that idea, I mean, as a game designer, I assume you have various ideas for systems and what have you knocking around for a while, but how did you take that and actually turn it
1: into a working game? Well, some people would argue that I have yet to do so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just... I just tried stuff and made guesses and said, "Oh, well, there's there's a couple of things. There's one: has anybody done this before? And if not, why? So I, I don't want. I hate repeating other people's stuff. Um, not that I feel the need to be unique, but um, I, like there's so many different things out there you can do with a game. I don't like." To just fall back on, well, this worked for Steve or or this worked for uh, for Jane, so I'm gonna put it in my game. Uh, so I, I didn't ever hear about anybody doing a roll and keep the highest, and that seemed like a cool thing. So I tried it, and I guess it worked or it worked well enough. Um, so that was the basic die mechanic was roll and keep the highest because I had seen die pools and I'd seen you know where you roll a bunch of you know you're trying to get four fives and sixes or or whatever. Um, that's like the burning wheel, uh, pool mechanic, or ba- ba- I guess for me, it was shadow runner or, or vampire, which used pool mechanics. And then there was like the West end games, you roll a bunch of dice, you total them up. That's your results. And then there was the, you know, the, just the roll one D 10 or roll a D you know, all that stuff. So I wanted to do a pool, but I didn't want to have it be, I wanted it to be quickly calculatable. I think I didn't want to have to like look at all the dice it's like, okay, what's my highest number? I see a six, therefore that is my highest die. I don't have to look at any more dice, that kind of thing. Just to make it super, super fast. Um, and that was the fastest die mechanic I could think of. So yes, I guess speed was was the overriding factor, speed and simplicity. And then the other big part of the mechanics was the credit card system where I wanted it to... Because it was about a company you were working for, I knew that the company had to be a character. The company needed its own character sheet that where you would track the progress or the or the the the, the failing of the company. And uh, characters I decided were less important because they would filter in and out of the company, but the company had to stick around.
2: Yeah.
0: Now it was one of the uh, the things that I like about inspectors, and pota- uh, fingers crossed, will get the opportunity to do it some way, That idea that, as you said, the company can remain consistent while the characters go in and out, and it almost seems like the perfect idea. Uh, Folks, for those of you who are listening on, one of the perhaps constraints of the tabletop RPG hobby is that the way the games are designed, when you get a bunch of people together and they create this group of characters, not only are they uh, a group in your traditional ensemble cast sense... They're also a group in almost a tactical sense. In games like Dungeons & Dragons, usually every character kind of has a, a specific role or a specific set of skills where if they go missing for a week because one player can't make it, there is this sense that, you know, your the group is disadvantaged as a result, whereas something a little bit more like Inspectors, it almost seems part of the the potential entertainment of the game where if you've got a uh, a rotating group of people and of course that's going to happen because people's schedules suck right you can have this thing where you know uh one group plays in one week maybe a couple of them change out next week and then when the others come back for the third week they're like where the hell did all the money go
2: who right. spent all the
0: company's friggin' money. I mean, that can happen exactly. with the one game anyway. You just know who spent the company's money because you were sitting right there at the table while they're at it. But yeah.
1: Um, well, there's also a, a, in, the, in the game, there's a paid time off mechanic. There's a, a way to recover your character and you need to take sick time. You need to take vacation or sick leave. So while you're out, the idea is uh, you play another character that was completely different than your normal one, or somebody else would come in and play your character, uh, play a character or, or you'd switch GMs or whatever. There's just... I, I, one of the one of the weaknesses... There's a couple of weaknesses of inspectors. Uh, one of them is I don't tell you all this stuff, right? I just kind of figured, oh, people will figure it out because it's kind of obvious. But it's not. You pretty much have to explain everything. Um, the, other, the other weakness of the game is that even though time is a huge part of life and, and especially work uh, you know time is money and all that I don't really address time that much in the game and, uh, and if I ever do a, a, a sequel or another edition or whatever time will be def- definitely be a factor um, where writing for torchbearer has given me a new appreciation of of things like uh, time stress where players only have you know in four die rolls you're going to get hungry so I hope you have food ready that kind mm. of that kind of pressure
0: yeah, I've, it's an an idea, and we were talking, I think you mentioned um, last time, uh, that wonderful gentleman, uh, speaking of Torchbearer, Luke Crane, who came up with the Burning Wheel series of RPGs, and I got my mitts on Burning Empires back in the day, and one wow. of the things I loved about it was this idea that there are actually, in a given session, there are only so many opportunities to make die rolls, so you have to make all of them count.
1: Yeah, yeah, like like in most games there's an economy and there's a currency, there's stuff that you can spend, there's stuff that you can acquire, there's stuff that you can trade, there's stuff that you can sacrifice. But time being a currency in the game hasn't really been used that much until maybe the last 5 to 10 years. Yeah. I'm just throwing that number out of out of my butt, but <laughs> I mean, actually, of course, I'm I'm lying because of course, um uh, Greg Stafford, who does everything first, uh probably did it first with Pendragon, where every game was a year mm. in the world, like every session was a year, and the game lasted so many sessions before this event would happen and then the game would end so Greg again did everything first the bastard he's amazing he is amazing yeah if you guys if you guys listening don't know who Greg Stafford is, just Wikipedia and just be amazed um he is is a, a, a gaming god. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is David O. Steele of A Quest for Magic and Steel, and you're listening to the Pay to Play podcast.
0: Tell us about your current project, uh, which is Parsley. And I know it's been, again, it's been one of those things that's been kind of going on for a few years. So, can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of Parsley, where it came from?
1: Well, one, it's it's a stupid name, and I <laughs> I'm always like, oh, really, can I? Is it too late to change it? But it's kind of set, I guess. I don't know. So parsley is a is a pun on two two words. One is Apple Computers, um, the fact that they have a you know a, 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 for, a type of produce as their company's name. So I went with parsley because the second pun is um, based on text parsers, which were uh, Ways people used to play computer games back before there was advanced graphics or graphics at all where it would just present you with text and you would type in a command and that would present you with a response of some kind. Uh, and that was called the text parser. So I kind of combined those to create a parsley game, uh, of course, spelled P-A-R-S-E-L-Y, which Google loves because they're like, do you mean parsley, L-E-Y? I'm like, no, no. idiot. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be smart, Google. You haven't determined that I uh... – I type Parsley with the anyway. Uh so parsley <laughs> games, uh that, that's the genesis of the name. And they're 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 text adventure games like you would play in a computer in the 70s and eighties, except instead of playing on a computer, you play with your friends. And one person is the parser, one person's the uh the, the, the dumb computer with a limited vocabulary, and everybody else is a player who takes turns kind of uh typing their commands. So one person would say, go north, and the next player, the, the parser would say, oh, you find a tree. There's a tree here. And then the next player would say, climb the tree. And the parser would say, uh, oh, this tree is too tall and dangerous. You don't have any climbing equipment. Or the parser would say, you climb the tree, and it takes a while, and you find a bird's nest or whatever. And um, the Parsley games themselves are kind of like scripts where they tell you exactly what you should say when, when you're given certain commands. And then you have a lot of leeway on all the other stuff, all the weird commands that people give. They're funny. They're fun.
0: And at the moment, you are, as of this recording anyway, six days away from completing a Kickstarter project, which is, I believe, a compilation of all of the Parsley games that you put out so far, plus a couple of extra.
1: Correct, yeah. There's there's eight kind of classic Parsley games. There's two mini ones. Um, One is a really silly game that's only three rooms long you can literally finish it in a minute and a half if you if you if you're smart uh other people it takes like 30 minutes it's <laughs> which is terrible um and then there's a so there's those two mini ones and the eight kind of full length ones that are the classic ones and then the two new ones are one's a sequel or one's actually the third part in the action castle trilogy action castle three beneath action castle and then the the most recent one is uh, Danger Town Beatdown, which is my homage to um, '80s vigilante cop action flick, city of crime type movies. And yeah, it's it's six days left to go. I'm very excited.
0: As I'm always curious about this wonderful, perhaps not new anymore, but still, you know, fairly novel arena of crowdfunding, uh, while pay to play of course, does have its Patreon page and its backers, uh, this whole idea of kickstarting a specific project, I think is it's always intriguing and um, would be of particular interest for people who are have a specific idea or a specific thing that they want to make and put out and perhaps just need a little bit of help getting off the ground. What is... What was your experience so far of putting a Kickstarter project together? And I mean, yes, with over 200%, it's definitely been a a success so far. But uh, what were some of the things that you, looking back, did that perhaps helped it get there?
1: So this is my second project. My first was uh, for a parsley game called Z-Ward, where I, I had this idea for a zombie game uh that i wanted to get out but i had no money i had just no. i mean these games were not expensive to put out but they weren't cheap either i was printing them on on essentially uh, laminated cardstock as like pamphlets that were like i believe you would call it z folded so z folded um z ward that's kind of funny i didn't think of that but uh so so i was like okay i want to send this game out but i don't have enough money to make it so i'll do a kickstarter and i I did okay. I, I raised like 7,000, I think for, a, and I needed like 1,200 or something. Um, so that, that was great. Uh, for this one, I needed more. <laughs> it's a lot bigger, bigger, uh, project. It was a book, my, in my biggest book yet. Um, the, it was tricky. I did, I, I, I don't know if, I think I did it as best I could. Um, you always make mistakes But uh, making the videos was a pain in the butt. It's weird because these... Ostensibly, this is to see if people are interested in your idea. Like, we'll give you the money to make your dream happen, right? But more often than not, especially with games, is your dream has to kind of be most of the way done in order to to put anything up of, of substance. So, like, this game is done. I mean, in theory, like, all the text is written. I have some major pieces of art done. Now it's just kind of putting it all together and that's essentially what the funding is for. So this game was going to come, come out no matter what in some format, but this money, the fact that I'm, I've raised over 30 grand USD means I can make it how I want to make it. Not kind of cut corners or go, well, this is as good as it can be or whatever, or that you know, it's only going to be a PDF game. None that there's anything wrong with PDF games. I kind of helped start that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But, you know, I wanted to make a, a hardbound book. That was kind of the whole point was put these all together into one book and make them available in an easy to use format. But kick, kickstarting projects itself is, is it's, a, it's a weird beast. I'm not I'm like 50 percent sure that I like doing it and 50 percent like oh, there's got to be another way because this is essentially what I'm doing is a pre-order. Um, It's just a pre-order that reaches way more people than I would if I was just going to say, hey, guys, I'm making a new game, because I'd have maybe 200 people versus 800.
0: Still, it would seem that, I mean, the the cachet that you have being Jared A. Sorensen, independent gaming brand name, would have been uh, some assistance there.
1: Well, my mom is proud of me. (laughs) My, My mom knows who I am. I'm a slightly well-known person in a very niche, weird industry. Mm. Uh, like you figure most people, like if I, when I'm at Gen Con in a couple of weeks, most people there will have no idea who I am. And they're the hardcore gaming public, right? Mm. My, my name and my reputation, eh, not that valuable. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish I, I was more of a, of a brand name, like a Warren Spector or a Greg Stafford or, I don't know. But whatever. It is what it is.
0: Now, one reason I am sort of glad that the recording we did last time didn't come out too well, because I was making some quips about a company called ELO Games, and then it turned out that they're actually part of the distribution setup that you've got going for uh, the Parsley Collection once it comes out.
1: Well, um you, yeah, maybe? I don't know. Where did you find <laughs> this information? I, so
0: th- th- I thought you said as much. I mean, I was sort of so, you know, making smart House comments about Yellow, and you said that they were, oh, yeah, they're actually putting out another language edition of the book out. Is that right, or am I? Yeah.
1: Yes. so they're doing – I'm on their site right now. I wonder if they've announced it. Um, I know they've announced it in their one of their catalogs. Let's see, coming soon. So they're doing a book that's essentially a French compilation of some Parsley games that I wrote. Ah. as well as a couple new ones. I don't see it on their site. I don't know. I'm just quickly scanning it. So pardon me if I miss it. I think I'm probably just missing it. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous book. I saw some of the the proofs of it. uh, And I was like, oh, man, this is really cool. So they have a bunch of classic games. And they have um, a bunch that they wrote themselves. Mm. And so I'm going to get a a cut of that sweet, sweet action. Uh, but it's, that's in the yellow game. And, um, maybe they'll, maybe they'll distribute the new games too. If they do a volume two or I, I don't know, we haven't really talked about it. Mm. I'm just, I'm, I yeah. frankly, I forgot that they were working on it at all, which is a <laughs> terrible business person, a terrible business. I have stories I could tell you off, off air about that, <laughs> about some of my like, oops moments. But, um, <sighs> Yellow seems really cool, and the, the people behind it are, are cool. Uh, the book looks amazing. The artwork's gorgeous. They're smart. I hope um, it does well.
0: From my perspective, it's fun knowing a guy who's basically got a product coming out with the same studio that put out Richard Garfield's King of Tokyo, which I've got on my shelf and have had a few games with, with, um, uh, with my grandkids and all that kind of stuff, and it's uh, – yeah um, – all fingers crossed for uh, all the ruddy success with uh, the parsley collection, which ever iteration it comes out in.
1: Yeah, I'm really psyched for psyched for it. Um, I haven't played King of King of or King of Tokyo, King of New York, all those monster games. Um, they look cool. I'm not a huge board game guy, hmm. but they look kind of neat. I like monsters. Um, hmm. It's more of a money situation right now. It's just I don't have money or time to to devote to these things. I was going to say, there's that one game, Oceanos, um, that has little submarines, and that just looks cool. Uh, I have no idea how it plays or if it's good, but it just looks cool, and I'm like, oh man, if I had 100 bucks to blow on a game, I would totally get that.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, I do know what you mean. It's especially, it's like I would uh, had various amounts of uh, depressive episodes not cause me to sell off most of my RPG collection. I would probably still have a ton of books on my shelf, virtually you know, none of which I would have had the time to play with people, if you know what I mean. So it's almost it's almost becoming my thing whenever I go into my friendly local gaming store or see people talking about RPG product. I sort of think, okay, I would love to get my mitts on it, but what are the odds that I will actually play with a, you know, sit down and play with a bunch of people? So, nope, save your cash. It's needed elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. now, the the... The frustrations of growing up.
1: When does that happen? Ha ha ha.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, good point. Here I am still bloody ogling RPG product in the first place. So I suppose that's... Uh, I've, I am still yet to actually properly attain this mythical state of adult responsibility that everyone talks about from, you know, when you were a kid.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Hi, this is Dean Rankin, writer and artist on Simpsons comics and creator of Itty Bitty Bunnies in Rainbow Pixie Candyland, and you're listening to the Pay to Play podcast.
0: Anyway, so of course, while you're doing all this wonderful RPG design work and you're getting uh, the Kickstarter going, uh, what are you? What are you doing to pay the rest of the bills?
1: Uh, well, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm earning some money selling games and stuff and I do consulting here and there for companies, um, a little bit of game consulting and also copywriting and, uh, kind of computery techie kind of stuff. Um, but mostly right now I've been in, and this is bizarre to me, but again, the great screenwriter is, is put a, a little plot, uh, plot turn or whatever it's called. What is that called? Plot hook, um, is that I'm now a teacher apparently, uh, I teach, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a traveling mad scientist and oh. I, uh, I, teach, uh, I teach kids about science and technology and engineering and robots and astronomy and all sorts of stuff.
2: Oh, and usually
1: I get, to, I get to blow stuff up or melt stuff or launch rockets. rocket. I launched some rockets on Friday. It was great. So oh, that's, that's wow. what I do for a living right now. <laughs> Please
0: tell me you've got traveling mad scientist on your business card.
1: No, uh, I don't have oh. business cards for this company yet, um, but I, my, my lab coat does say Mad Scientist on it, mm, mm. which is pretty rad.
0: That reminds me, another experience that we talked about in the last chat, and tying it back to Parsley, was that you actually got to demo the game at a planetarium.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, so it was Cambridge Science Week in Boston, Massachusetts last year, 2016. And one of the planetarium uh, staff members who had played Parsley at PAX, which is Penny Arcade Expo, which uh, PAX East, which is a, their their convention that's in Boston every year. She played it. She said, hey, I would love to get this in the planetarium. Would you be interested? And, and her staff was going to make graphics for all the rooms so that it would actually be projected onto the inside of the dome and as they go from room to room it would change and and i would be inside narrating and and acting as the parser and then the the audience would play and i was like yeah i want to do that (laughs) so it, it it took a while we got all the we got all the pieces laid in um and i i i went to boston for pax and i right off the train had my luggage motored on over to the planetarium at the museum of science and uh yeah, it was nuts. It was the best thing ever. Uh, I got to go inside. Uh, they cleared out after a presentation. Actually, I, I sat in on a presentation so I could just kind of get a feel for the room. So I sat through uh, one of the presentations. One of the presenters was talking about you know Venus and Mars and different planets, and it was really cool. And then at the end, everybody cleared out, and they're like, okay, it's all yours for the next two hours. <laughs> and I was, I was like, this is the best, because <laughs> I had grown up around Boston, uh, between Maine and West, like Southern Maine and and Western Massachusetts. So I'd been in the museum of science a couple times when I was a kid. And so I had a, a, a strong personal connection to it. So actually to be able to play one of my games there and get paid for it was amazing. And, and, uh, thanks to a lot of people's efforts and a shout out on the Nerdist, uh, podcast, we got a sellout crowd. We had over 200 people playing. It took them about an hour and a half. They did finally finish it. It was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Fantastic. One thing that's got me curious though is, you know, parsley is geared for a small group of people. How did you govern an audience of 200 Wait,
1: all playing
0: what, this session? And
1: what fake news site told you it was geared for a small audience? <laughs> Parsley games are for between Two and an infinite number Of people uh, mm-hmm. I usually say two to two thousand or two to two hundred But it's really two to infinity As long as you have space for the bodies And some people Can hear some of the other people You can play with any number of people wow. So two hundred was nothing That's actually half, less than half of my biggest ever game uh, Which was Four hundred and seventy I think four hundred and seventy three which was at one of the paxes. We were uh, we took over one of the the big auditoriums and um, and ran a giant game. Oh, so really, wow. there's there, there's no limit to the number of people can play. It's just time and space.
0: Hmm. Uh, do you have? I mean, it's playing this game. It's sort of like it. I it, it, like, conjure either. You know, uh you're either going from like the top left of the, the auditorium to the bottom right and each person gets to get one command, or you've either like divided up into groups and like when it comes to this then everyone sort of like huddles up and says, What are we gonna say? What are we gonna put into the computer? How does that work?
1: So so the group the group uh Little little pods of people just doesn't work. Um, mm. In fact, I always tell people because they always want to collaborate. I'm like, shut up and just take your turn. Because the <laughs> time you in the time you spend arguing about what to do, you could just do something dumb and then move on to the next person. You could get through like 20 people in the time it takes one person to make up their mind. So yeah. everybody everybody gets their own turn. Uh, I usually have people line up either in in a single file or in a row. Uh, with the planetarium, we just pass the microphone all the way around in kind of concentric circles, starting at the back and then moving to the front of the auditorium. And um, other times, it's sitting around a table. Sometimes it's uh, when I play with the kids in my class, we'll just sit in a circle. Um, so yeah, it's 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 one one player, one one turn, one command. Right. And if you screw up your command, you go to the end of the line. You're done. And people are always like, but, but, but they're like, what are the exits again? I'm like, oh, the exits are north and south. Your turn is over. Go to the end of the line. They're like, but I just, I just wanted to know. Shut up and go to the end of the line. <laughs> your turn's done. You screwed up. Next time, pay attention. It's great. I love, I love players that are like that. Or the player who goes, oh, wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Your turn is over. Go to the end of the line.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's the best.
2: <sighs> wow. So, yeah,
1: that's, that's how it works. Hmm. Hmm. It's it's as... I mean, you're basically doing a hot seat, right? Everybody's taking a turn at the computer typing, and then they get up and let the next person type a command. Yeah.
0: So, uh, what is next for Jared Sorensen? I mean, from the sounds of it, uh, the last time we chatted, I think one of the things you talked about uh, was... How and we might even have to touch on this now very quickly before we move on. Uh, your common experience of finishing a project—there is something that you've noticed that tends to happen whenever you get done with one thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Well, one, I would have to finish something, <laughs> but when <laughs> but when that happens, I get real. Uh, it feels bad. To finish stuff. It feels great immediately, and then it feels terrible. Is that what you mean? Um, mm. It's. uh I don't know. It's like. Uh, it's like okay. Well, on to the next thing. Okay, so what's that going to be? And well, it's got to be better than the thing I just did. So it, every every project, there's a little bit more pressure. Uh, so over time, it it gets really hard. I mean, when I was back in the early 2000s, when I was just, I was churning out so many dumb games and game ideas and half finished ideas and concepts and weird little, here's a page of notes and I'm going to call it a finished game. Uh, It was really easy. But then as I started to actually finish them and they started to get a little bit better, a little bit better, people started to play them. Then people started to buy them. And suddenly it was like, Oh, I have a responsibility now to actually get shit done. And, uh, they all get a little trickier. When, when Luke and I finished, uh, we, we did Free Market together, we finished that. And I was like, okay, well, that's the best thing I'll ever do. It's great. <laughs> now what? <laughs> so, you know, trying to top that was, you know, so far impossible. I really haven't done any RPGs since then. I'm trying to think if I did anything. Just Parsley games and uh, some stuff for Torchbearer, really. Um it's tough. It's tough. I mean, success is a is can be a terrible thing. Well, success. I'm, I'm putting that in air quotes. Uh, but uh, but doing something that you're really proud of is awesome. But then you're like, okay, now what? And that's that's that can be trouble. Hmm. Hmm. So
0: what is next for Jared Sorensen? Um, I don't know. What, yeah, and, <laughs> silly question. <laughs> but uh, given what we just asked, but well, yeah. one thing I am curious about. Gen Con. And this year, for those of you listening, Gen Con is short for, funnily enough, Geneva Convention, because it's ba- it originally started in uh, a town called Geneva in the States, not at like, Lake, Lake Geneva. Lake Geneva. In Switzerland. Lake, Lake it was the, Geneva. Oh, it was Lake Geneva no, Okay. Yeah. But not, yeah, yes, but not Geneva in Switzerland. Mm. Right, 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 right. And it has been going for, well, of course it's been going for years because this year is the 50th anniversary of Gen Con, and yeah. it's, a, it's a tabletop-focused gaming convention. Uh, it's a little bit trade show, and it's a lot just general public people coming in to see games and play games and all that sort of good stuff. And I'm talking, and I've never fucking been to one. There was a Gen Con Australia for a, a few years back in the early 2000s, and then it unfortunately fell to pieces on us. So, Jared... Uh, let me indulge my uh, – let me live vicariously through you a little bit. What is Gen Con like and what are you looking forward to for the big 5 in a in a few weeks to months?
1: So um, there's a lot going on. Um, I'm super excited because I've missed the last couple Gen Cons. I just couldn't uh, – I couldn't rationalize making the trip, You know, spending the money because I didn't really have anything new to show. My friends had enough people working at their at their booth – and I was kind of just kind of down on gaming. I was just like, ah, this isn't for me anymore. But um, but now I'm back, and uh, I have this. You know, my Kickstarter will be done by then. The fifty years. Peter Atkinson, who who runs Gen Con, um, he I used to work for him at Hidden City Entertainment, and so he and he's actually he's writing the forward, or he wrote the forward for my book, which was. Awesome for him to do. I asked him to to, if he could do that, and he said yes, and he wrote the loveliest stuff for me. Um so I'm really excited about that. But he invited me to be in a panel about kind of turn of the century game design. It's gonna be me. Uh who else? Ron Edwards and I think Vincent Baker. Yes, Vincent Baker. And we're gonna be talking with James Wallace and Jonathan Tweet. And Luke Crane is going to be the moderator. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about what happened between 1999 and 2001 and how the 90s and the, and the aughts um, kind of influenced each other and, and were different from each other. It's a, it should be pretty cool. It should be a cool discussion. Uh, so I'm going to do that. I'm also running Action Castle 3 somewhere. Uh, it's, it's in the event listing for Gen Con. So I hope to have a, a nice big group for that to, to unveil. The third in the uh, in the series and uh there's gonna be lots of stuff um the torchbearer or sorry the burning wheel crew will have a uh, midtermark for torchbearer it's gonna be it's a supplement kind of a mythic scandinavia supplement for their game it's really good uh, there's gonna be all sorts of goodies at their booth and um yeah it's gonna be awesome i'm, I'm really looking forward to it plus it's going to be like 70,000 people or something crazy. It's the the attendance has skyrocketed since my last trip. I think it's going to be somewhere between 65 and 70,000 attendees, which is nuts.
0: I am even more sorry that sadly due to geography and budget I am going to miss out on what sounds like it's going to be an epic bloody convention and you know Having fo- lately been following a whole bunch of board game and RPG people, and of course chatting to a few of them with this podcast, I am yeah, I am sorry that I'm going to miss out on that one, but um, it sounds like it's going to be a, a wonderful time.
1: Did you go to uh, Did you go to Pax Australia?
0: No, they oh. um, they started uh, <clears throat> the Penny Arcade lads got the well they didn't get the bright idea they threw it open for suggestions I said, hey, you know, where do you folks, we want to do another convention, where do you want to have it? And then the community just came back and said, Australia. And they went, okay then, let's see if we can make that happen. But that all pretty much happened after I left Sydney for Cairns. Right. Yeah, the money situation has meant that even just getting getting back down to Sydney. I a friend of mine got married and said, I want you to be my be my best man, and it was great fun. But he basically covered all the expenses to get me down there, plane tickets up and back. Um, I I wound up sleeping at a friend's place, so that you know saved me on the accommodation. But uh, and he he covered uh, because he decided on he and his wife decided on a historical theme for their wedding. Um, They even covered a Viking outfit for me, complete with bloody sword. Oh, fantastic! That's yeah, and that's still. Um, got Pride of Place on top of the bookshelves downstairs in the (laughs) living room, so... (laughs) Is it real blood? Uh, Not yet. Um, (laughs) I I, I have... I've not yet had cause to take to anybody with it, and I have not, which would be the more likely outcome, um, fumbled the handling of it such that it has tasted oh, okay. my own blood or anybody You're else's You're using
1: the, the Australian bloody. I was, I was thinking the American bloody, which is uh, an adjective and not an uh, expletive. Ah. I was thinking they gave you a sword that was covered in blood. You just said, no, it's a bloody sword.
0: Oh, with you. No, yes, yes. Got it. They, they, they did. That, that would have been... That certainly would have raised... <laughs> uh, a few eyebrows at the, at the reception, I am sure. Had it actually know. been a blood-coated sword but... <laughs> People are weird.
1: People are weird.
0: The fun thing, as it turns out, is that it was... The wedding was filmed, uh, and, I mean, I, I knew it at the time. Of course, there was a bloody waiver and whatever we had to sign. But it was part of a reality TV show called Four Weddings. Oh, wow. And... <laughs> <laughs> so every, every episode, and our one... My friend Gavin is wife tracy's one was the first um, so every episode there would be um yeah, it was four weddings, and at each wedding, the bride for the brides for all of the other three weddings would be invited as guests, so they'd all sort of like see each other 's weddings and rate um each other 's weddings and how they were with the usual Speaking of inspectors and reality shows, you know cut away aside so people would go that was weird at that wedding. what the hell was going on there? you know that sort of thing, and um uh yeah, I wound up being in it for about half a second um, <laughs> which you know, which is no bad thing when it comes that's, down to it, but uh, yeah, and sadly actually yeah <laughs> yeah, sadly, Gavin Tracy's wedding came last, unfortunately, uh-huh. which yeah I, I had to laugh when some people took the historical theme. One person turned up as, a, you know, decided to go 70s with an afro and a moustache, and another okay. person said, bugger it, I'm turning up as Fred Flintstone.
1: Okay, so, this is very, yeah, all very historical. Indeed. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, but, uh, that was, getting back to the point, that was pretty much <laughs> one of the very few times that I have been back down south since I moved to Cairns, and uh, yeah, uh, it's tough enough just getting down there for family things, let alone for... A convention but hopefully hopefully sometime soon god knows maybe uh if i if this show gets enough notoriety after five years of episodes and uh, someone might say hey let's get that guy down to our convention and get him to host a panel or something like sure. that we'll
1: see that's cool <laughs> yeah i just checked i just checked the distances and i, I figured it was like sydney to karen is, is like uh, new york to florida so it's it's yeah it's not a it's not a short trip
0: yes no I mean, Sydney to Brisbane is not too bad, but Brisbane to can- even just Brisbane to Kansas, is a long bloody way. Right. Uh, so hopefully, sometime in the future, I'll be able to swing along to one of the one of the PAX Australia conventions. We'll see how we go. Cool. Ah, all right. Well, after having listened to this show, where can people go to find out more about Jared Sorensen? And I am sorry that I've not even mentioned uh, your branding so far The show. Uh, Memento Mori, your personal gaming company, Inspectors Parsley, and any of your own upcoming convention appearances.
1: So uh, I guess you could Google me. Hmm. That's the easiest way because you will not be able to spell my company name on first try. You will spell it Memento. Everybody Hmm. does. It's not your fault. You're only human. But it's M-E-M-E-N-T-O-M-O-R-I.com, memento mori moricom mementomoricom and uh, yeah just you can type in my name and Google will send you where you need to go mm. uh, so yeah I have yeah my role-playing games are up there in PDF format you can still buy a couple of them in print through the burning wheel store and there are links from my site there's also a whole bunch of parsley games all the original classic uh, PDFs and some torchbearer stuff I did a bunch of uh, character classes and weirdness for torchbearer and I have a new thing that I'm working on a little bit, which I, I have to kind of revisit, which is this weird um, post-apocalyptic fantasy crazy town game. Uh, basically, imagine laser guns. It's basically He-Man. It's laser guns and swords. Ah. Uh, you know, <laughs> riding beasts, spaceships, laser guns and swords, uh, lich kings, and uh, mutant uh, warlords, so I, I really got to work on that because everybody's – all my friends are like, I want to play that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all ready to go too. My friend Todd wants to do the art and everybody's like, I want to play that. And Just like, well, I have to finish writing it. So <laughs> that might happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Jared, it has been a pleasure having you back on the show after. And I looked up the date in the last chat and now I've just got to where are I played to play.com.au. I think you were episode eight which yeah. was back in 2012. Uh, yep. And I just want to try and get the exact date when it went live. Here we go, September the 30th, 2012. So this will, this chat will go live. I'm aiming to get it up 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. So the 17th of August, which I think is the first day of Gen Con.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, that'll it'll actually go up Wednesday evening u.s time which you know so hopefully that'll uh uh that'll help things along a bit and uh give people uh, a little bit of a taste of, as to uh, what they'll experience when they uh come and see your panel and um sign up for action castle three
1: yeah actually so yeah uh i'll be i'll be in indianapolis wednesday so uh mm-hmm. if you see a guy in black with spiky hair there's a excellent chance it's me uh and then my panel, I believe, is oh when is it? I can't remember when it is. Check the just check the schedule mm. and um on Gen Con's site and also my game, Action Castle Three. Definitely sign up for it. It will be a hoot. Mm. Um, I'm very proud of it. Unlike the other two games in the series, there's a lot of action and a little bit more castle. <laughs> so.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, once again, Jared, thank you very much for your time, and it's been a blast having you back on the show again. And fingers crossed, we'll be able to do it again sometime soon.
1: Thanks, Rob. It was very nice to talk with you again, uh, and uh, and this this I think this one went well. That last one sucked. Yeah. I'm so glad it's gone. Burn it, <laughs> burn it.
0: Burn it. It, was it, was, it was so grim. We it were was so grim. sad. It was God, so grim.
1: What, you know. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs>
0: Oh well, we're laughing at the end of this. You were great.
1: You were great. I was the worst. I was the worst. But yeah. (laughs) Nice talking to
0: you. I'll let you I'll let you take the fall for that one.
1: Nice talking to you (laughs) too.
0: Thank you for listening. It's awesome that you've let this episode of Paid to Play between your ears, and I hope that it's helped you shake some of the don't give up your day job blues. You can find the show notes for this episode in the Paid to Play podcast's website www.paidtoplay.com.au This show is also on Facebook as The Paid to Play Podcast and on Twitter at Paid Play Podcast. The good news is there are over a hundred episodes of Paid to Play with more to come. Now, would you like some more help shaking those don't give up your day job blues? Would you like to spend some time somewhere that you won't hear those well-meaning or less-than-well-meaning voices telling you to go for the seemingly safe, supposedly secure, but secretly soul-killing corporate job? A place where folks will celebrate your progress, help you work out what to do next, and be there when you just need some positive reinforcement to keep putting one foot in front of the other? Well, I have even more good news for you. Such a place exists, and you can get to it for only one US dollar per month. It's the Paid to Play Podcasts Patreon community. Sign up to support the show and you get access to the podcast's private message wall where you can get to know some great folks just as off-kilter as you and I, post your own updates on how you're monetizing your madness and even see my upcoming guest list and have me ask a question of a show guest on your behalf. This is Rob Farker, your host, asking you to be a little dangerous and stop hiding yourself. The interview and monologue portions of this episode are published under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 3.0 unported license. In general terms, you can reuse and remix them in your creations as long as you credit me, Rob Farker, and do not charge for your product. For the full text, visit creativecommons.org. Intro and outro music is created by and copyright Miracle of Sound. Used with permission. For some pulse-pounding rock music inspired by video games and pop culture media, check out MiracleofSound.net. The paid-to-play podcast is hosted by a gent who's such a good friend of the show, he actually started it off. The mighty Marcus Hurstick. Check him out at marcus.hurstick.com. That's Mike Alpha Romeo Charlie Uniform Sierra dot Hotel Echo Romeo Sierra Tango India Kilo dot com